Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host Sam Brooks and I'm joined today by Carlo Garganese and Raphael Giacobin. And we're going to get straight into what was arguably the biggest game of the weekend, uh, where it certainly looked that way on paper and it turned out to be a bit of a cracker. And that was Roma Inter on Sunday lunchtime. It ended 2-2, bit of a bit of a seesaw match uh, in the end. I'm going to come to you first, Carlo. First of all, welcome to the show. And uh, what, what do you think we learned during that game on Sunday? Hi, guys. Yeah, thanks for inviting me onto your podcast. Pleasure to be on. The, well, it was, a, it, was a, it was a very exciting game for, for the neutral. Um, I think we, we learned a lot of things from the game. From, from Inter's side, I think we saw once again that Antonio Conte struggles a little bit when it comes to making substitutions. Uh, we've seen that his whole career, really. He, 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 he usually waits too long to make substitutions or he just makes the wrong substitutions full stop, which is what happened in, 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 in this match. And I think Inter, when they were 2-1 up, was, were, were completely well on top. They looked like they were going to score a third goal. Roma looked spent. Uh, and, and then, you know, he made these kind of defensive substitutions where he tried to almost hold on to what he had rather than go for the third goal. And he took off Hakimi, who scored that fantastic goal uh, to put Inter a... Uh, in the lead at 2-1 and you know Hakimi I think would have been devastating on the counter-attack in the in the closing stages especially if Roma you know tried to try to come and get something back from the game um, and yeah it, it cost them Roma Roma were, were given the initiative uh, and they pushed forward in the last 15-20 minutes and, and they got an equaliser and and uh, I blame I blame Conte for that so I think from the inter side that was that was what we learned um, that kind of Old Italian, old-fashioned Italian mentality of trying to preserve what you've got, um, which I think a lot of the Italian coaches are moving away from in the last few years. They're starting to learn that that doesn't work anymore in modern football. But Conte, I mean, they still go back into their old ways, and I think Conte did here. Uh, the other thing from the Inter point of view, I probably would say that we learned Arturo Vidal had a bit of another shocker. Uh, and he's, you know, he's he's not having a, a good season at all, which doesn't surprise me. I think he's past his best, well past his best, um, and I don't think he was great. From the Roma point of view, I think um, it was um, it was important for them to to get a result here because they've got a terrible record against the big teams. Well, Fonseca, since Fonseca has been coached, they've got a very very bad record against the big teams, and if they'd have lost this again. Uh, another big match then I think that would have been tough on them but you know I think Roma and Fonseca are having a really great season considering the squad that they have um, I don't consider them one of the four best teams in, in Serie A based on their on paper based on their squad alone so I think they're doing a really really good a really good season so far yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to touch on <clears throat> Inter a bit more. And um, we've seen time and again this season, Raphael, that they've been struggling to kill games off. Um, you know, they've fallen behind a lot in games and then work their way back in. And, and then, yeah, they seem to struggle in the final stages. What do you put that down to? Do you think it is just the substitutions or is, is there a sort of mentality problem perhaps with, with them not being able to finish offsides and open up two goal gaps in games? I mean, I agree that it's, it's partly down to the substitutions. I think, you know, bringing on Kolarov was clearly, a, clearly the wrong move. I think 
I think on the more in a more general sort of in a more general sort of way, Inter are a better attacking team than they are of a defensive team. And I think when they're you know when they're down in the this usually happens in the first half when they when they, when they go a goal down and they have to actually come out and attack, then they're a world class side. You know, the way they move the ball about with them, you know, Lukaku being used as a focal point. Lautaro Martinez and um, and Barella being used as well. You know they're clearly a world class side in in that respect. But as soon as as soon as Conte decides it's time to sh- shut up shop, you know they're not they're not a, they're not a very good side when they when they have to defend. You know that's that's the bare bones of it. That they're not when you look at this when you look at the 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 team they need to have when you look at the their starting eleven most of the time. You know, with that sort of team, attack is the best form of defence, and they clearly don't have the sort of the defensive nous to hold on to a lead in a way that they, you know, in the way that they have been doing recently. I think, you know, you look, you look, you look at the Handanovic is clearly past his best as well. He was slow to react on both goals. Um, Kolarov as well, obviously, was was quite poor, and. Obviously, you had Vidal as well, who, who didn't, who'd had a, didn't have a great game. So, I, I, th- I think the issue is that Conte is putting too much faith in his defense, in his, in his, in his side sort of capacity to defend the lead. I think he he needs to realize that actually, his with the with the assets that he has at his disposal, that shouldn't be the the style of play that he should be going for, especially when defending a lead. Because we can see that we could, we can see in in we've seen so many times in this in the second half, in the second half of games that they they come out just sort of blowing the opposition away in the first fifteen minutes of a of a second half, and then just start to falter away when they when they you know go back on themselves a bit. So I think it's I think it's down to a lot of factors really, but if, so that that would be it you know, would be substitutions, but also just generally the defensive quality of the team. Yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> certainly cost them again this weekend. And uh, just moving back to Roma, last thing on this game uh, with you, Carlo. Uh, we've sort of discussed uh, quite a few times on the podcast how far Roma can actually go this season. Currently, they're third, uh, sort of six points uh, off top spot. Um, but do you think they can maintain it? Did you see this as a big step forward after, as you say, struggling against the big teams this season, having had heavy defeats against Napoli and Atalanta in recent weeks. Yeah, I think psychologically it was important to get something out of the game for the reasons I said before. But I think also they've got the Rome derby coming on Friday this week. And psychologically, that will obviously be very important for their season as well. Because if, 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 uh, if they lose that game, then everything that happened in the, in the inter-game will be forgotten. And, and all of a sudden, you know, they're under pressure. Um, I think that the, the race for the top four this season is, is going to be incredibly tight. There's, you know, there's going to be some good teams that are going to miss out on championship, Champions League qualification. And, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to it afterwards. But, you know, the... You know, Juventus are on a little bit of a run. Atalanta are on fire now and, you know, always going to have so many goals in them. So, you know, and then there's Milan and then there's Inter and somebody's going to have to miss out. And as I said, I think that on paper, 
I, I think Roma are weaker than than those other sides. Um, so if they could get into the, finish in the top four this season, Fonseca will have done an amazing job, I think. Yeah, I think that certainly would exceed many people's expectations at the start of the campaign. Uh, of course, one team who's uh, who really benefited from the result this weekend uh, was Milan. Uh, of course, they, they suffered a, their first defeat of the season last week uh, in midweek against Juventus, but they bounced back well with a comfortable 2-0 win against Torino. Uh, Raphael, how impressed were you with how Milan responded and do you expect them to now get a major boost uh, with Zlatan having come off the bench uh, and appearing to be back in the fold now after a couple of months out injured? I mean, I guess you could say it's a, it's a champion's mentality. But they were able to bounce back from a... from what It wasn't necessarily the resounding defeat against Juventus, but the fact that you know their, their unbeaten run came to an end. So it was such a long unbeaten run. I think it was, yeah, 10 months. The fact that it came to an end, you know, you might have thought that it would take a bit of time to recover from that psychologically, but clearly not. And I think what's, what was interesting as well is a lot of, you know, in, in the absences that they had, a lot of young players have stepped up. I think over the weekend, Brahim Diaz probably had his best game in a, in a Milan shirt. Leao was continuing to play well and just de- deputising really well for, the, uh, for, um, for Ibrahimovic, who's obviously coming back. And obviously, the fact that Kier is back in the fence is a, is a ma- was a major boost. So, obviously, the opposition, you know, considering opposition, Marco Giampaolo's Torino isn't necessarily the most challenging opponent these days. But at the same time, yeah, it was, mentality-wise, it's a really, it's a, it's a big boost for them. I think Ibrahimovic coming back will definitely be. Well, it will def- it'll be it'll be an imp- a boost, but on a on a lot of different a lot of different levels, just not just on the pitch, but off it as well in terms of the mentality he brings. I think the a lot of a lot of the momentum that they carried over into into the spell where he was injured was down to his his influence off the pitch. I think the fact that he is sort of taking all of these young players under his wing, and Sort of taking the flak as well, a lot of the time is uh, is well, it's quite indicative of the, his his role as a leader, and I think in a way, you could almost say that Ibrahimovic has um sort of a Mourinho role as a player because he deflects a lot of the attention onto himself and away from all these young players who might be under the cosh a bit because you know they they are. They are getting into a Scudetto race. They they're going to have the media spotlight on them. The fact that Ibrahimovic is sort of acting up a bit and sort of playing up his you know the whole his whole persona is getting the media to pay attention to him instead of them and taking the pressure off them, which I I think is a sort of, is an aspect of his his arrival that hasn't really been talked about because you see him. You see him pop up in the Italian media all the time, doing doing all sorts. He's gonna he's gonna host the um, San Remo um, uh, song contest in March, or he's or or just just in 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 the game he was doing he was doing taekwondo kicks over the uh, over one of the uh, over one <laughs> of the the Milan stuff. All the, all of these sorts of antics that 
take the pressure away from the, the actual players on the pitch and get the media to look at, look at Zlatan. Obviously, I'm not saying he's, he's, he's just a cheerleader. He's just there to, to act as a sort of, sort of deflector. Obviously, he brings a lot on the pitch. But I think it is an aspect which hasn't really been talked about in terms of Ibrahimovic's asset impact at, um, at Milan. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, actually, because we've seen in the last uh, couple of months, I think Zlatan's actually only made about seven appearances in Serie A this season, so only featuring in less than half the games. But um, he certainly seems to have uh, raised the standards since going to Milan um, and, yeah, really taking a lot of those young players under his wing. Um, of course, the side that they did lose to, as I mentioned last week, was Juventus, who've now won three matches on the trot, scoring 10 goals in the process. Carlo, what are your thoughts on Juve? Do you think they're finally starting to click under Pirlo? And, and what sort of play, what players are impressing you in their strong start to 2021? Do you think they're still a bit over-reliant on individuals or are they starting to find their team chemistry that could take them to attempt straight Scudetto? To be honest with you, I'm still not 100% convinced by Juventus. I think they, they're they definitely improving. They're definitely better than, than what they were at the start of the season. But I'm, I'm still not, I, you know, I, I still can't go into a game that Juventus play and think, right, you know, before the match and predict, right, they're going to win this game. You know, I, 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 I'm still not, I'm not seeing that... Um, that polished game for them. And I mean, even if you take the last match against Sassuolo, they were dreadful in the first half until, until the red card just before half time of Pedro Obiang. Uh, until then, the Juventus were doing nothing. They looked slow. The build up was, you know, they, they, they continue to struggle against teams that defend um, with a low block um, that defend deep. Uh, and, you know, Dybala was, was back to his worst again. And, and, you know, they, 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 you know, I think I honestly think that if it wasn't for that red card, you know, they may not have won that game. Um, it obviously opened up for them in the second half, but they still needed a late goal to to or two late goals to to finally win that game. So they're not convincing me. I thought against Milan, I thought really there was one player that decided that game. I thought it was the two teams were reasonably even. Uh, I thought Juventus played well, but uh, I thought Milan played pretty pretty well as well. I thought Chiesa was the difference uh, between the two teams. You, you know, two. Two moments of magic. The first goal was, was fantastic. Um, but if it wasn't for Chiesa's brilliance in that game, I, I think that game could easily have been a draw. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm still not 100% sure because every single time that I think the Juventus are, are clicking, they're starting to go on a run, all of a sudden they have a bad result. And I remember earlier in the season where they, they drew with Lazio away and they played really, really well in that game. They, they deserved to win. Lazio scored a, an injury time equaliser. And then the game after they won... Uh, comfortably against someone, I forget, and I think it was Cagliari. Um, they they won that game, and you and they and you thought two really impressive performances in a row. Juventus are clicking now, and then they went on a really bad run of, of performances, and then and then again, uh, once again, just going into Christmas, they, it looked like they were they were they were starting to click. They beat Barcelona three nil. They 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 were starting to you know get some good results, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they lost at home to to Fiorentina. So, you know, I, want, I don't want to get too carried away. You know, yes, they've gone on this little three-game winning run, but, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure about them. Um, having said that, you know, that there's, so much, there's still so much quality in that team. And, and, you know, even Ronaldo, you know, he's dipped in the last two matches and he, and he still scored 
Um, so, you know, I, I'm not sure, but, um, but you can never rule out Juventus. Um, and, and to answer your second part of your question about which players are, have impressed me, I think Chiesa, obviously, against Milan, he was, he was fantastic. Danilo's been the surprise for me this season because I've never been, I've not been a big fan of him, wasn't at Madrid, I wasn't a fan of him at Man City, I wasn't a fan of him at Juventus last season, but he's, he's really become quite an important player, actually, in the tactical system of, of uh, Pirlo, because it requires them, it's a hybrid system that requires them to go from a 3-5-2 in an attacking phase to a, a 4-4-2 in a defensive phase, and, and, and Danilo's been really, really good at understanding when to and how to move uh, positionally in that in that hybrid system so he's been really really good and he's got a fantastic goal and an assist in the last game uh, and obviously Ronaldo you know his numbers speak for himself yeah it's certainly uh, it's very interesting with you Van I know exactly what you mean with uh, they have had a couple of periods this season where you thought <clears throat> they were turning the corner and then they throw in a random draw against Benevento or Crotone or something like that so it will certainly be interesting to keep an eye on them and of course they have a very interesting game coming up this weekend which we'll talk about later um one team that is certainly convincing right now is Atalanta they've come flying out the blocks in 2021 they won 4-1 this weekend away at Benevento and to be honest it wasn't a particularly you know they actually got three goals in the last 20 minutes but it was a bit of a fun thing and could have been more um why do you think they've suddenly been able to click Raphael, having had a bit of a sort of strange period in October and November time um, and, and doing it also without their best player in Papu Gomez? I mean, you'd be tempted to think that they've sort of improved because Gomez has, has just sort of been cut off from the squad. I think a lot, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the headlines surrounding Atalanta around the November, December time were all about the Gomez, uh, Gasperini fallout, which clearly, from from what reports are saying, were quite bad behind the scenes. Um, obviously, there were there were reports of just a, ma- a massive, uh, a massive argument at halftime in the um, the Michelin game. So, I think. I mean, I, I mean, I wouldn't say you know Gomez leaving is the only, the only reason why they um, they've improved. Obviously, I, I think Gasparini was talking about it in his uh, in his post match presser actually that he's tried a new system in in midfield. He's tried to he's tried to get his forward men more uh, more involved in dropping back into midfield, which clearly has has had a good effect. I think. It's shown. I mean, it's it's shown Gasparini's tactical uh, flexibility more than anything, and the fact that his system isn't def- isn't necessarily dependent on on individuals, more more on just the um or the system itself. And I mean, that's that which is the mark of any good manager. And if if their if their system works, whatever the the quality of player or the the profile of player on the pitch. Then that's how you know there it's a it's a good system. So I'm not I'm not I'm not overly surprised by by the fact that they have returned to form. I think this is this is sort of what happened last last year as well. They they came back into form. Well, last year and the years before as well, they they came back into form at around this time. So I time time will tell really if this sort of new new look 
I mean, not not really new look, but a sort of new formation, new structure will uh, will work out. But I think there's there's a lot of players in that team in that team who are emerging who are sort of filling in the filling in the spots of the the older players, if you will. The like like Gomez, for example, you've seen Pessina coming through. So it's definitely promising for Atalanta. Well, we'll have to see if it if it pull, if it comes off against um, on the in the long, on the longer term against against bigger teams. But I'm I'm personally I'm quite optimistic for them. Whatever happens in the in the Gomez situation, which seems like he, he's going to leave. Yeah, as as you said, uh, Atalanta did a sort of similar thing last year where they came on really strong after Christmas. Um, and as you as you said as well, that they are a team that can sort of because of their set system they sort of flourish no matter who the players are but a couple of players who've really stood out in the last couple of weeks have been Josip Ilicic and Luis Muriel um with the side that they've got um Carlo they're nine points off top with a game in hand could they mount a serious title challenge this season do you think I'm not sure about a title challenge but I mean you can't rule them out and, and the numbers are crazy in the last few games. 18 goals in their last five matches. I mean, we know how many goals they scored last season. It was almost 100 goals. And, you know, breaking records, scoring the most goals for 70 years. We know they've still got that in them. And, and yeah, as Raphael was saying, since Papu was, was frozen out, they, they, you know, whether it's because of Papu or not, I mean, we know that Gasparini, Gasparini thinks it is because, I mean, he's been very public and saying that, Atalanta need to evolve as a team. Um, they needed to evolve and that almost hinting that Papu was the reason why, um, you know, from a defensive point of view. So, um, I don't know. I mean, the one thing I, I think Atalanta have got in their favour is there's a lot of depth in that squad, strangely, especially in attack anyway. There's a lot of depth in attack. I mean, there's so much. There's something like seven or eight players that are capable of playing in those front three positions for, for Atalanta. All of them excellent players. Um, all of them with lots of goals. I mean, even I mean, look at Muriel, who you mentioned. I mean, I mean, he 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 hardly starts any games. I think he's averaging a goal, one goal every forty-three, every forty-four minutes this season. Um, you know, last season I think he scored something like eighteen goals in ten starts, or, or something like that. I think he's got ten in five starts this season. I mean, he's got to be the best super sub in in, in Europe. Um, there's so many goals in that team, so much attacking quality, and when you're in a season like this one, where I mean, it's obscene the number of matches that have to be still be played uh, in all European competitions, in all European leagues. But, uh, you know, in particular at Serie A, where we're not even halfway through the season yet. We've got over 20 games to play between now, the middle of January and the middle of May. So in four months, they're going to have to play, you know, 20 odd, said over 20 Serie A games. You've got a potential five Coppa Italia games. You've got... Uh, you know, if you go all the way in, in the Europa League or Champions League, you're talking about another six, seven games uh, in, in the Champions League. Um, there's so many matches. Then you've got three international matches at the end of March as well. It's crazy, the number of games. Absolutely crazy. And when you've got a team like Atalanta that can rotate their attacking players and can stay fresh, I think that could be definitely uh, a big, big weapon for them for, from now until the end of the season. Yeah, they certainly are blessed for talent in that sort of, um, you know, striking department and uh, attacking midfield, of course, the likes of Malinowski. I think Pasalic is due back later this month as well. Um, 
So, yeah, some great players there. Uh, I want to move on to another team who we expect to be uh, battling for the top four this season. That's Napoli. They've had a bit of a rocky spell uh, in recent weeks. Of course, lost to Spezia last week, which was a massive shock. But they did nick a late victory away at Udinese on the weekend. I didn't think they played particularly well, to be honest, Raphael. And Merritt had to make a few good saves. But do you think simply the result could be the turning point um, that Napoli needed to then go and see them go on a good run now? I'm not sure it could be because in that game, as you said, they didn't play very well and we saw the same sort of issues that we've been seeing in the last few weeks. I think the issue of Napoli is that there is a massive disparity between the players who are in form and the players who are completely out of form. Um, I mean, just, just looking in attack, the difference in, in output between... Uh, Lozano and Insigne is just is is massive. I think Lozano has been has been one of the success stories before um, for for Gattuso in his in his reign. The fact that he's he's managed to get the Mexican very just involved in pretty much everything that's good about about Napoli, and he's he's, he's got a very he's got, he's got a very good output. He breaks the lines very well. He's he's involved in a lot of attacks. And then you look at Insigne, who's, who's very wasteful in his in his chances. I think. I think he's. I think I, I saw some ways he, he's yeah he's got the same amount of chances as um he's like, he's come across the same amount of chances as uh, as Lewandowski, but he scored a third of the goals. This season, so he's clearly he's he's had a problem in terms of uh, in terms of finishing, and generally in terms of his overall play. Um, but obviously, you've got other you've got other players who are, who won't say carrying Napoli, but they're definitely shining in among the uh, a sort of a mediocre spell. We've got Zielinski, for example, who's 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 definitely playing very well. Merit, as you said. So, I think it's going to be a challenge for Gattuso to sort of get everyone up to speak, everyone up to up to the same level really of form because I don't think the the whole team is on the same late wavelength right now. I think whether I think the result itself might be a turning point in you know in that it might, it might spur them on to to go on a run. Because when you look at the table they're not far behind at all. Uh, you know they, they they might have lost to Spezia but it's not necessarily a you know it's not necessarily a disastrous result. In in the, in that they're they're still within touching distance of the top four. They're still they're still well within the race. I think Gattuso it can you know can galvanise his his players. He's 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 that sort of manager. You can sort of give, give them a kick up the backside, whether that's figuratively or or literally. And um, but yeah, I, I think. I think the, the the advantage in, in Napoli's position is that the the problems can be easily identified, and yes, whether whether they'll be able to to sort of fix those in time, really fix those in time, and and potentially move in, move into the move into the top four. Yeah, certainly an interesting one to keep an eye on. Um, and another team who are once again in European contention, they did of course make the top. For last year is Lazio. Uh, they beat Parma this weekend, so have now won their last two games. Um, Carlo, I want to get your thoughts on both teams in this match, actually. 
do, do you think that Lazio can now push on and, and go for the top four? Or do you think they're just too inconsistent this season? And, and what do you think about Palmer having rehired Roberto Diversa? Do you now think that they can escape the bottom three or are you worried that they could drop back down to Serie B this year? With Lazio, I think it's going to be difficult for them. Uh, I said from the start of the season that their, that their poor transfer market would cost them. Um, I thought they were in a great position to really push on after their amazing season last season. And, you know, they, the players that they've brought in have been disappointing, to be honest. Um, Wesley Hope, the defender, coming back, he's actually been okay. But they spent like 20 million on Muriki. Uh, he's been a disaster. Uh, their other players are not really difference makers. And, and you know, they, they lack quality and depth, uh, strength and depth, just, just like they did last season. And, you know, last season, before the coronavirus um, outbreak in March, Lazio were, I'm going to say, lucky that pretty much every single game up until then, they had their full strength starting 11, but virtually. You know, maybe one player out here or there. They had no long-term absentees. And, you know, Lazio's first team is very strong. They've got three or four players who, you know, I think would, would get into virtually any team in Serie A. Uh, the problem is there's such a big difference between the first-team players and the, and, the, and the backups and the reserves. And so when, the, when, the, when Lazio returned from the, from the um, you know, when football resumed after the, 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 the break, the coronavirus break... Um, Suddenly, they were playing every few days, and you know the, their squad couldn't cope with that. You know, they were playing once a week before, and obviously this season, being in the Champions League, which they've done well in, they've done very well in um, playing every few days. They can't cope with that, and so I'm not surprised to see them going on a little bit of a run now, seeing as you know the Champions League is over. Uh, but you know, like I said before, there's so many games to play between now and, and, and the end of the season. And, you know, they're going to be in the Champions League as well. I mean, they'll go out and play in Bayern. But, but still, that's an extra two games. Um, so I think it's going to be very difficult for them. What, what is for certain is they have to win against Roma. I think if they lose that game, I think their top four chances, you could almost say, are over already because there'll be like nine points. There'll be nine points off the, off the, the top four already. And, that, you know, that's a long way back um, for, for Lazio. So, so, yeah, I think it'll be difficult for them. Uh, as for Parma... I think I'm worried for them. I, I have to be honest. I, I am worried for them again. Like Lazio, they they had a they had a terrible transfer market uh, transfer window. I, I was uh, on, on 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 my on my podcast, an Italian football podcast. We were joking about this um, earlier this week. You know that you know we hadn't even I hadn't even heard of some of the players that they that they signed in in, uh, in summer. You know, some of them didn't even have Wikipedia pages. I mean, who the hell are these guys? Um, so they they had a very bad window. They obviously lost their best player, Kulusevski. They didn't replace him. Uh, they're the lowest scorers in 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 uh, in Serie A by quite a distance. They've scored 13, 13 goals. They've scored in seventeen games, and um, so I'm worried for them. I think they need to buy players this uh, this January. Uh, otherwise, they could be in big big trouble. The problem is there's no money. There's no no one's got any money uh, because of the coronavirus. Um, so who are they going to buy? Loans. It's good. They have to they have to try and pull something out of the out of the out of the bag uh, in January. I think. Yeah, they certainly do. They've been they've been desperately poor at times this season, and and obviously Liberani 
paid for that with his job last week. Um, and I now want to move on. We're going to do a roundup of the other games that we saw this weekend. And I want to move on to a couple of sides who are down in that sort of relegation dogfight, who have actually come into some good form. First of all, I'm going to come to Genoa, who have really turned things around um, in recent weeks. They won 2-0 against Bologna. Um, do you think they'll be able to keep this up for the rest of the season, Raphael? Or do you still worry that they could get dragged back into that bottom three <coughs> and, and go down this year? I mean, I don't think they'll suddenly go on a, go on a great run of form for the, for the rest of the season. But I think what they have done is set, set a good sort of foundation for a, for a, a decent sort of run uh, for the, yeah for the games to come. I think what's, I think they've come into, they've come into a spell where a few select players are coming into form. I think Destro has done very well in the past few games. He's, he's come, he's definitely come back into the picture, even though Scamacca is, um, is getting all the plaudits these days, um, and you've got the um, their their Uzbek midfielder as well, Shomurodov, who's been putting in some good performances. So there's definitely there's definitely a, a sort of an air of positivity about Genoa right now. I think they'll definitely, I th I think they'll I think they'll be safe personally. I think there's not, I mean, I, I, right at the start of the season, I was tipping them to do quite well and do. Get get up a mid table, which, admittedly, I got quite wrong. But I think, I I I think that I think they'll they won't coast it for the rest of the season. But I think I, I'm quite positive about them right now. I think they'll I think they'll be safe. Are they not? But on the other hand, they were playing a Bologna side who were struggling right now, who are having to play a lot of a lot of, a lot of youngsters who. For, for one reason or another, their their attack just isn't clicking these days, which is a problem because their Bologna's attack is arguably their best their best asset. The fact that they have got these young players like Barro, like Orsonini, who, who are usually able to conjure up some sort of a, some sort of goal output, just not not doing it right now. That's a big problem for Mihailovic's men because they're obviously. We know their defense is awful. They they can't keep a clean sheet to save their lives. So, yeah, I I do I do worry about Bologna on the other hand. Yeah, they they do seem to be on on a poor run of form right now. Uh, but yeah, certainly things are looking up for Genoa. And another side who things are looking up for is Spezia. Uh, I think we were getting a bit worried for them either side of uh, Christmas. Um, that they may well fall fall down the league. They did briefly go into the bottom three, of course, but uh, they've won their last two games, including a two-one win on Monday night against Sampdoria. What what do you make of them, Carlo? It would be a pretty good feel-good story if they were able to stay in Syria in Syria for another year, right? I'd be amazing. It'd be an amazing story. I mean, I have to be honest. At the beginning of the season, I think most people, if you asked them for the the three teams they thought would get relegated. I think most people would, would sort of said Spezia and Crotone would definitely both go down. I mean, I did. I thought I thought those two were, were definitely were, were definitely on their way down. But you know, Spezia are um, yeah, they're, they're definitely they're surpassing expectations. And um, you know, I look at their squad and they they it doesn't look like a team that should be staying up. Um, but you know, they're doing great. Unzola is is uh, being you know one of the surprises of the season. I think he's. He's really important for them. 
number one, I mean, he's getting a lot of interest, transfer interest. Number one, they need to make sure they keep him. But number two, they need to make sure he, he stays fit because it, he's so important. I think he scored something like 40% of their goals or something. So he's, you know, they, they, he has to be, he has to play between now and the end of the season. Um, yeah, it'll be great. I hope they do because, you know, on such a historic season, being in Serie A, uh, not having their fans being able to watch them. It would be quite sad if they, if they were to go down without their fans even watching them, you know. So, so let's, let's, yeah, it'd be, let's hope they stay up. It would be a great story. Yeah, indeed it would. Uh, meanwhile, another team who's actually being cut adrift a little at the bottom is Crotone. Uh, they lost again this weekend. Not, not the worst performance by any means, but a 2-1 defeat to Hellas Verona. And there's now a lot of pressure on, on their manager with, with uh, you know, a couple of replacements potentially being lined up. Do you think um, they could well do with a managerial change? Crotone, or do you think it will make very little difference, Raphael? I don't think it revolutionised them, but I think there's definitely there are players in that squad that can be sort of used differently. They can be sort of switched around to to get a few winning performances out of them. I think uh, Junior Messias, for example, has been their standout player this season. I think if a new manager can come in and sort of get the emphasis on him or try and get him more. Uh, more more goal scoring opportunities as way well, I think I think they can definitely do with that. I think um with Simi as well, he was he was Serie B top scorer last year. And he hasn't really been able to replicate that this season. Whether that's because of the step up in uh, in leagues or because because things circumstances have changed in terms of the tactics. I think it's a it's um it might be a combination of both. But there's definitely players in there that can, that might be able to flourish under a different manager. So, personally, I would I wouldn't be surprised if they were to change manager. I think, even though there even though there is there's no there's no shame in losing to this um, to this to this Hellas side. I think that Hellas are obviously in a great run of form. There's, you know, there's there's most of the team is Serie B level in a in a way. But there's definitely there there is a manager who can come in and do something with uh, with this with this team. And of course, the other game that we haven't touched upon yet from the weekend, by no means a classic, but an important win for Fiorentina. Uh, they beat Cagliari one nil. Um, it's been another underwhelming season for Fiorentina, Carlo. What do you make of how they're getting on? And on the flip side, Cagliari are in a really poor run at the moment. Do you worry for Eusebio Di Francesco, whose stock continues to fall, it seems, month by month? Yeah, I'm disappointed by both both teams, to be honest with you. For, for Fiorentina, I think there's so much talent, um, or there was so much talent in that squad last season and, 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 and again this season. And... Rocco Camiso, you know, I like him. I think he's good for Italian football. He's a character. And, but he's let himself down with just bad managerial appointments. I mean, Beppe Iacchini last season, he's a Serie B manager. Uh, and, and, you know, for some crazy reason, he decides to stick with him, uh, you know, through to this season. Uh, everybody could have told you he was, it wasn't going to work out. Uh, and it didn't work out. And then he replaces Yakini with Cesare Plandelli, who, you know, is a fantastic guy. He's a he's a lovely person. He he was you know he had a great managerial career himself, but 
you know, he's way past his best. You know, this is someone who, since leaving the Italian national team in 2014, I mean, since 2012, since Euro 2012, Prandelli's managerial career, he, he's done nothing. It's been, he's been on de- decline and, you know, he's now 63, 64 years old. Um, he's past his best. And, you know, so Fiorentina have been let down by, by bad managerial appointments. And, and I think that, you know, Camizo's really just thrown away two seasons with Iacchini and again with Prandelli. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's very, very disappointing um, to, to see Fiorentina. There is quality. There's lots of quality in that squad, especially in the central midfield with Castrovilli, with uh, Amrabat. Uh, and, you know, there, there's quality there. Obviously, they had Chiesa as well, but they've let him go. So, yeah, Milinkovic at the back. As for uh, Cagliari, well, they're in free fall. You know, they've lost four games in a row. They're, unsurprisingly for a, for a Di Francesco team, their defence is a, is, is a shambles. <laughs> so, again, they're a bit like Palmer, a bit like maybe Torino, and maybe more comparable to them. You know, they should be too good to go down, but, you know, they're dragged into a relegation battle now. And, and you know, they have to be, they definitely have to be careful now. Yeah, it, it, it is getting a bit worrying for them. Um, even with Diego Godin at the back, who admittedly is a bit past his best, uh, that doesn't seem to have uh, stemmed the tide of goals that they're conceding right now. OK, well, that's the weekend wrapped up. Uh, I now want to look ahead to what's coming up this coming weekend. And of course, there are a couple of really big games uh, in the off-in. Friday night, as you previously mentioned, we have the Rome derby. And then on Sunday, we have the Derby d'Italia between Inter and Juve. So, Raphael, I'm going to come to you first. Uh, have you got any predictions for us as to how you feel those two massive matchups are going to pan out? I think the Rome derby is going to be very interesting because we've seen that Roma, even though they are in good form, they have struggled a bit against the, uh, against the top sides. That's been sort of a feature of, uh, of Fonseca's, Fonseca's team. Well, you know, Lazio, even though they have been re-emerging a bit and sort of getting these, uh, getting these wins on the board, it's quite a, it's quite a short period of time between the between now and between now and then. So there might be some turnover in the team, which will make definitely make for a very interesting and potentially open game. I think, in terms of predictions, I would, I would. Probably, I mean, I'll probably just go for a, for, for a draw, but an exciting draw. Uh, probably, there's, probably, there's, there's definitely going to be a lot of goals in that. Um, I think in terms of the uh, in terms of the Derby d'Italia, I think I, I would favour Juventus slightly because of the form they're in and the fact that they are coming back into they are finding their groove under Pirlo and. Inter obviously they've they've still got these sort of internal questions that need sorting out. They've still they've they've still got they've still got uh, I would say a a ten well Conte still has a tendency to uh, to stick with his his favourites his favourite players even when they're out of form and that that probably means that we're going to see we're going to see Vidal start for example we'll, we'll see Kolarov come on again. Which will only play into Juventus's hands. So, I I would favour Juventus for for this one. Yeah, and uh, Carlo, I'm going to ask you as well. 
what your thoughts are. Obviously, last year, uh, Conte lost to his former club both on both occasions and Juve were quite convincingly the better team in both those games. Do you expect it to pan out similarly or do you think Conte might have learned some lessons and will be able to get one over his former side? <laughs> well, that's the big question. I mean, Conte, I mean, we mentioned about Roma having a bad record against the big teams, but Conte's record in, in, against the big teams and in the big matches for since taking over at Inter has been is just well it's just it's just simply not good enough for for a team with the quality and and the size of Inter and you go back to last season they lost home and away to 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 Barcelona they lost to Dortmund they lost home and away to Juventus uh, you know this season they've lost the Milan derby they lost home and away to Real Madrid uh, they drew, you know, they drew with uh, Atalanta. They drew, obviously, with Roma. You know, they, their record against the big teams is is awful. Um, so, so yeah, that's something that Conte absolutely has to turn around if he's going to win this game. I think the other thing that's working against Inter, like I've said this for years now, that there's such a big difference between Antonio Conte teams when they have a week to rest or a week to prepare for a match, and when they only have three or four days to prepare. Um, and this is the last game I think that that they will play for quite a while, where they will have to be uh, be playing like three or four days after a match. So let, I mean, I kind of guess depends who they play in the Coppa Italia, uh, how strong the lineup is that they put out. Uh, I think it would be good for them if they they rested, you know, a number of their key players and make sure they're really fresh to really go at Juventus. Because one of the advantages that I think that Inter have over Juventus in this game is that Juventus are going into this match with quite a lot of injuries and a lot of players that are not fully fit. Um, Delict is out, which I think is huge, um, because Juventus are able to to press high up the field like Pirlo wants and win that ball high up the pitch uh, much much better with Delict. He's he's brilliant at it, and he made a huge difference in, in that respect tactically. So not having him out, having him out, I think is is uh, Juventus are going to lose a little bit there. Um, you know, there's no Quadrado, there's no Alexandro, there's no Dybala, obviously, although I don't think he would have started anyway. Uh, McKenney and Chiesa got injured as well in the game uh, at the weekend. We'll have to see if they'll be back. It looks like they probably will be. Um, so Juventus have a lot of players out. They're weaker. They're weakened. They don't have their first team, team out. And, you know, Inter... I think Inter need to, to, to make a statement here. I think they really need to win this game, Inter. If they want to try and go on and win the Scudetto because, you know, Milan are not going away. You know, so everybody seems to think it's still between Inter and Juventus, I think, generally, deep down. Um, but Milan aren't going, any, going anywhere. And, you know, so Inter, Inter, have to, Inter have to win this match. But what's my prediction? Um, you know, <laughs> I, I really don't know. I, I, I think it, it, it could go either way. I'll be boring and go with a draw. <laughs> OK, yeah. Well, and certainly, as you said, with Milan, uh, you know, if it does end up a draw, that would be a fantastic result for them. They could could well open up an even bigger lead. Um, so we'll see. It's certainly shaping up to be a fascinating weekend coming up. And that concludes the show. So thanks a lot for joining me, Raphael and Carlo. And uh, we'll catch you guys again soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye bye. <laughs>